So we are looking at Baptist Catechism. Question number 110 this evening. The question that is before us is, what do we pray for in the third petition? Much of the prayer that Christ taught to us is a prayer of request. And so in the third petition, which is, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we pray that God, by His grace, would make us able and willing to know, obey, and submit to His will in all things, as the angels do in heaven. Now, before we dive too deeply into that specific topic, just by way of refresher, in question 105, we considered what is prayer? We spoke together at length about what prayer accomplishes in the life of a believer, what it intends to do. And the answer to that question, we learned that prayer is an offering up Oops, went too far there. It is an offering up of our desires to God by assistance of the Holy Spirit for things agreeable to His will. Notice there that we've already touched on this a little bit, that the will of God is crucial to us praying properly, that we are praying in the name of Christ, believing with confessions of our sins and thankful acknowledgments of His mercies. Even there in that early definition, we see this important role that God's will plays in our praying. And then in question 106, we began to turn our attention to the Lord's Prayer, given in Matthew chapter 6, acknowledging that this particular prayer was given for the express purpose of our instruction. Jesus prays in this way in Matthew 6 so that we might see a pattern by which we can learn to pray better. God's prayer recorded there in verses 9 through 13 is not to be a rote prayer or a prayer of just robotic repetition. Rather, it is to give us elements of prayer that we should be thinking about when we pursue the Lord God in conversation. So Matthew 6, 9 through 13 says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. So much of our preaching to this point has been focused on answering the question, how do we pray? As well as establishing what should be the content of our prayer, namely in citing the things that we should pray for, the petitions that we should bring up to God. And admittedly, there is still much to learn in this regard. We're not done working through the Lord's model prayer. We have several Sundays prepared yet to share with you. But tonight we focus on the third petition of the Lord's Prayer, the request that Jesus makes in asking his Father that his will be done, not only here on earth, but also here on earth as it is in heaven. And in doing so, we're actually digging down into the very reason of why we pray. What motivates us to engage in these significant spiritual conversations with our redeeming God? On the surface, most people might be willing to admit that their primary motivation for turning their thoughts and their hearts towards God in the process of prayer has to do with the fact that there are things that we, as limited people, need. There are things that we desire, that we ourselves do not have the power to secure for ourselves. And so having been brought into the kingdom by the gracious kindness of the king himself, we are now emboldened to go before his throne and to ask him to use his power to obtain that which we cannot obtain for ourselves. We pray because we have a will 
and yet we do not have the kind of power that our God has, and so we aren't able to make our will be done without His greater help. Now, while that surely describes the general focus of the prayers of many who seek God, and we prayed some prayers like that this evening, even before we began in this sermon, part of what Jesus is teaching us in the model that we call the Lord's Prayer is that there's actually more important motivation to prayer than simply trying to get God to help us accomplish our will. There is a higher reason to lift up our prayers before God's throne. Yes, there are things that we need. Yes, there are things that we want. And most certainly, yes, God can get those things for us. We spoke of the call of worship this morning. Uh, we, We went over some of those things. I think I might have included the wrong slide here. Sorry. Slides are supposed to be an assistance, but sometimes they are a distraction to us. Uh, we, we read in the call to worship this morning, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So there are things that we should ask of God for. But having experienced the new birth of regeneration, the very premise for why we live, the very basis for our existence has now shifted in our minds and our hearts. It has been restored to what it is supposed to be. No longer are we trapped in a compulsion to live for our own selves, to seek our own personal kingdom above all else in life. That is the default mode of man's heart, to live for what I desire, to seek my own happiness, even if that costs other people theirs. Our eyes through salvation have been made open to God's true intent for mankind. We were made to bear his image and to bring him glory. So the ultimate goal of our being is no longer personally focused. It's not introversion. It is not what you might call anthropocentric. If you were in our Sunday school class this morning, we had a great conversation about some of the language that Scripture uses that can be sometimes anthropomorphic, meaning that it uses the the forms of man or the, the ways of man to describe God so that we might better understand Him, even though man can't be brought down to the level of base humanity. So that word anthro refers to humanity. When we are born in the sin of Adam, We live lives, by default, that are anthropocentric. In other words, they're man-focused. They're focused on ourselves and the material needs that we have in life. But the ultimate goal of our being, now that we have been saved, our eyes are open to the fact that our ultimate goal is now theocentric. We are to live for what God desires instead of living for what man desires. This is a fundamental shift. And as much as that is revolutionary to us, it's not easy to live like that all the time. Now, since God loves his children, I want you to think about this, church. Since God loves his children, living for his desires means that obedience to the Lord and submission to his superior will is ultimately what is best for us personally as well. Because your God is a good God, Living for his will and his desires does not mean that you become the doormat of God. Rather, you are living for God's will to be accomplished 
and you are learning to trust that what he wants for you is infinitely better than what you could dream up for yourselves. And that's why in verse 33 of that very same call to worship this morning, we read, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all those things that were listed before that you need, that he knows you need, all these things will be added to you. And so this third petition in the Lord's prayer is that God's will would be done. And it should be the foundational desire behind every other request that we make to our Lord. We can join in the prayers of the psalmist who wrote in Psalm 119.36, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. The testimonies refer to the written word of God, that special revelation that tells us not only who God is, but what that God wants for us. So the psalmist is crying out to the Lord, incline my heart to your testimonies. In other words, make me desire, put this urge to gain what you want for me, not just what I want for me. Don't let me just live for selfish gain, but help me to see the love of my God and to orient my whole life towards God's will, knowing that God's will is better for me. Have you ever experienced the surprising blessing of wanting what God wants for you, even more than wanting what you want for yourself? Though we've been made new, there are still vestiges of the tendency in us that desires our own will above his will. But there are times when God says no to our will. And we may even be disappointed at first. We may think, where are you, God? I thought I was supposed to come to you with my desires. I thought I was supposed to pour my heart out to you, trusting that you would deal with my weakness, overcoming it with your strength. And yet you're not giving me what I've asked for. And God, in his supreme knowledge, does not give us what we want. And over time, through his maturing power, we begin to see, wow, God knew better than I did. When my parents were divorced, I was five years old. And a lot of people will say, when the kids are that little, they don't really know what's going on. And I can testify firsthand that that's a lie. Uh, I knew exactly what was going on. My daddy wasn't around anymore. And I love my daddy. He was not a perfect daddy. Um, My dad had his flaws for sure, but I wanted him near me. And so it crushed me when my parents got divorced. It It was very difficult. And I distinctly remember not knowing very much about the universe at all. I remember somebody telling me, hey, you know what, Nikki? You can't call me that, but that's what they called me when I was little. <laughs> Nikki, did you know that when you wish on that, when you see that first star in the sky, if you make a wish, it'll come true. So I thought, that's it. And every night I would linger in the yard. I'd be playing outside because I wanted to see that first star. Because when that star would pop in the sky, you know what I would immediately wish for? I would wish for my dad to come home. I would wish for my mom and my dad to be back together again. That was the desire of my heart. And it wasn't but a few years later that my grandparents shared the hope of Christ with me. And I began to see that there's something bigger than just the stars or some cosmic loophole to get what you want, that there was a God who cared about your needs. And so I stopped caring about that first star in the sky, but my same request started to be directed towards this new father that I had in heaven. I began to ask God to reconcile my parents and to bring them back together. 
And you know what? He did not. Year after year, I would pray the same thing and, and that didn't happen. My parents did not reconcile. It was not his will to re- repair that relationship that was so broken. But I wonder now, in hindsight, looking back on that, I wonder if I would have the same resolve towards the covenant of marriage today myself if I had not personally felt the pain of that break, of that schism. I wonder if I would respect the promises that are made between a man and a woman in marriage if I had not seen the devastation that happens when those promises are broken. I think maybe that pain as a little child has helped me to even love my own wife better. And I have to trust that God knew my heart better then I know my own heart. As much as I would have just brought my mom and dad back together, I wouldn't know my stepdad now, who's a tremendous blessing and a joy to me. My stepdad who was saved by being connected to my mom's family, who preached the gospel to him. So God has worked all of this heartache in my life out for better things. Sometimes we ask and we do not receive, but in time we remember that God is always good. And he may not want what we want. And brothers and sisters, that is okay. He doesn't have to want what we want in order for him to be a good God. And so when we request of God in prayer that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's a lofty thing, don't we? When we pray that his will would be done on earth here as it is being done in heaven. We're actually expressing when we say that our desire that man's attempts at resisting the will of God would come to an end, that they would cease. For there is no opposition to the will of God in heavenly realms. We might read about the rebellion of Satan. We've, we've, we've heard some stories in Isaiah 14 and Revelation 12, for instance, that kind of give us this picture of things that we don't have a, a really bunch of details on, but we, we know that Lucifer, the, the, this, this angel of light, was special among the heavenly hosts and that he rebelled against God, and with him a third of the angels rebelled. But we don't read in the scripture about some long, drawn-out war in heaven where it just ravaged the heavenly realm. We hear about an opposition that was immediately met with confrontation, and we read that Satan was cast out, that God dealt with it. Heaven is not a place for conflict. Heaven is a place of peace. So when we pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven... It means that we want there to be no more opposition to the will of God. Does that mean that currently, right now, because there is opposition to the Lord's will, does that mean that his will is not done perfectly here on earth? No. His will is most certainly accomplished here on earth. But it suits his decree to accomplish his his will here on earth despite the presence of a force that illustrates something other than his will. A force that which God has utilized to make it known to us the futility of one who opposes the perfect will of the Father. We see that play out in real time as God has allowed some to seemingly oppose him for a time. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to open them to Psalm 2. This is a short psalm. I'm going to read this today, and I know that many of my brothers in this church have battled over this psalm before. We're not going to be looking at this psalm to get a taste for eschatology today but simply to get a taste for the authority of God. We're going to look at Psalm 2. And I want you to see how this describes the nation's desire to war against the Lord Jesus, who is sovereign over all things. It says here, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? 
The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. There's a desire to be free of what? Of the will of God. Verse four, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Who is that king? It is King Jesus. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son today. I have begot- today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. What do we see in this psalm, brothers and sisters? We see a picture of man's rebellious heart and how that has played out and the power of the nations, how whole people groups desire to turn away from the Lord and to shake off his authority from them. But we see there also a picture of the perfect power of God who has not lost control of anything. Though though the Lord allows sin in his creation for a time, there is a purpose for it. And this sin will in no way shake free the powers of God. He remains sovereign over all of it. There is a story to tell And Christ will tell that story in time. The redeemed heart longs to see the day when all opposition is laid to rest and God's will is embraced universally, where God no longer uses the wicked to accomplish his designs, when he no longer tolerates their vain attempts at independence from him. And we would rejoice to see the hearts of men, even before the final judgment, one to the kingdom of God and living here in fallen earth as bearers of light and as sojourners and pilgrims in a foreign land. As the kingdom expands, there is an increase in the number of people who are in the lost and rebellious world, but who are not of the lost and rebellious world. But our ultimate goal is not heaven on earth. Our ultimate blessing will be the new heavens and the new earth. So our hearts yearn for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Romans 12:22 says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect." Our hearts yearn for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we know that that will is a good, acceptable, and perfect will. We would be wise to include a request in our prayers, therefore, that God would make his will known to us, that he would reveal more and more of what he desires and decrees. Now, you might ask the question, can we know the will of God? I heard a couple people talking about this in our sanctuary this, uh, this evening before we began. Can we know the will of God? And the answer is, yes, we can. We can know the will of God. What does Colossians 4.12 tell us? It says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will 
of God. So Epaphras was praying for the church at Colossae that they might stand mature and they might have an assurance because the will of God has been revealed to them. They know something of the will of God and that will that has been revealed to them gives them a steady foundation to stand upon. So can we know the will of God? Yes, we can. But to what degree can we know the will of God? To the degree that he wills us to know it. It is not the secret mission of Christians to solve the puzzle of everything that God wants for us. I have known Christians who labored so hard to try to somehow cosmically discern exactly what God wanted for their life. As if there was some perfect path that they needed to figure out how to discern so that they could walk in it. And if they weren't figuring it out, then that means they were off the path and that God was not working in their lives. My heart goes out to that individual because while God does have a will and we can know that will, we can only know it to the degree that God reveals it to us. Think about this very important statement, friends. The will of an omniscient God is only fully knowable by God himself. He alone can know the breadth and the depth and the width of his own will. I have recently um, said things to my wife that were very stupid and hurt her feelings because I don't understand the will of woman very well. I am just a man and woman to me is complex and hard to discern. I have tried very hard to understand the will of woman. And I have failed at it again and again. I'm getting better at it, I hope. Uh, But my wife would probably say, keep trying. (laughs) If I can't understand the will of woman, who is finite like me, how then can I fully understand the will of God, who knows all things and has a plan and a purpose for every Adam in his universe. I can't even get remotely close to fully knowing the will of God. I will not. And thankfully, I do not need to. I am not God. God is God. And God is doing a fantastic job of being who he is. He does not need me to know the totality of his will in order for it to go according to his plan. Isaiah 40, 28 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. I might interject there. He does not hurt his back. He doesn't have eczema. He doesn't grow old and forget where his keys are. God doesn't do any of those things that we do. What does it say here at the end in verse 28? His understanding is unsearchable. He's not like you or me. You can't search his understanding. How can you hope to unravel the mystery of God's will? It is a fool's errand to think that we can know all that God knows. Romans 11, 22 through 26. I think I wrote that wrong. I think it's verse 33 through 36. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. 
To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. How much does God have in his mind? All things. If I have more than three things in my mind, I am worthless to you. I can accomplish nothing if I am overwhelmed by the burden of just a half dozen things. And yet all things are in the mind of our perfect God and he is not confused. He is never worn out or frazzled in the least. He handles it. Christian, get used to trusting the Lord for he has no obligation to tell us every facet of his will. Anything he reveals to us is a graceful gift, an undeserved mercy. Sometimes my children get a little OCD about wanting to know what is going on in our household. And I do try to capitulate the best that I can. I try to help them get a picture of what's to come. But there are times when it is best for the family if I do not reveal what my will is to them. How much more so does God have the right and the advantageous perspective to keep knowledge from us when we are not prepared or equipped to handle it. But fear not, brothers and sisters, for the will of God is always and can only ever be good. Amen. Remember in Romans 12, 2, we read a second ago, it says that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What is God's will like? It is good, it is acceptable, it is perfect. My will has probably never, ever been perfect. Even in my best day, my will is messed up to some degree. But the God that we are called to trust in, the God who guides our life, has a perfect will. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So everything that God wills to happen that comes to pass is going to be for our good and for his eventual glory. What a blessed assurance Romans 8.28 is to us. How much anxiety does that verse just slay for us if we'll say amen to it? Proverbs 16.4, and this is a, it's a different way to look at the same truth. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Even the destruction of those who rebel against God and, and care not for Christ is good for us in some way. It will display for us the mighty holiness of God, his justice. It'll display to us how he is a father who protects his own and keeps them from the wickedness of sin. So every bit of the creation plays a part. God wastes nothing in his will. And if we could just learn to trust what he wants for us, then we wouldn't be so prone to wring our hands hoping that God follows our plan, mm. that he gives us what we want. Mm. When just a short analysis of our will for our lives would show we have rarely wanted what is best for ourselves. So what is God's will? God's will is perfectly united between Father, Son, and Spirit. They don't disagree about anything. Amen. Perfect unity in the way that they have a decreed reality to be. It is pure and righteous. There is no stain of sin upon the will of God. It is always going to come to pass because God cannot want what is impossible. He is not a God of contradiction. 
So he will only want what he can accomplish. And he can accomplish all things. His will is unchanging. It will not yield to another. And this is so important for us. What a comfort this is. To know that some other force will not come along and dissuade God off of his promises that he has made to us. Never. Never. Even if, if a police officer was trying to protect you with his little pistol, and then the gang members rolled up and jump out of that car with machine guns, that guy's supposed to protect you. But when he sees those machine guns, I bet you he's going to drop his pistol and run. That's never going to happen with God. He is greater than any force that can oppose him. So nothing can change his will. Now I'm going to allow myself to jump to a rabbit trail here for just a moment, but I promise it has some relevance and it will not detour us for long. It has been helpful in trying to discern what we can know of the will of God to think about his will in certain categories. And I don't have enough time to really dive into these very deeply tonight. And we want to stay rooted in the purpose of our sermon, which is to understand prayer better. But since prayer tonight, the petition of of, of the third petition, the purpose of the third petition is to, to pray for the will of God to be done. Let's think a little bit more systematically about his will. Now, These are not dogmatic categories. We don't need these categories. I present them to you because they are sometimes helpful to untangle some of the mystery of how God functions. And because other like-minded believers will often use this kind of language to speak about God's holy will. So I felt it might be helpful to at least point these things out to you again. You're not going to find these categories explicitly lined out in the scripture. But you will see as you keep an eye towards understanding the will of God while you read the word of God that these categories do make sense and they might be of assistance to us as we organize our thinking about a topic that is much bigger than we can fully handle. So let's think about God's will in three different aspects tonight. The first one I would like us to think about is God's decree. God's decree. This is a category of God's will that highlights his will in light of his sovereign power. What God decrees comes to pass, period. Without fail, it will happen. And so let me give you an example of this. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. This was a holy decree. What happened? There was light. Though there was no light and no building blocks to make light, where light had never been, when God decrees it, suddenly light was. Omnipotent God did not have to go get some stuff from Home Depot to throw together some light. He spoke and existence obeyed him. Light came to be. Nothing can resist the decree of God. Though Satan is for a time allowed to oppose the kingdom of God in the world that we live in, one little word will fell him. Didn't we sing that this morning? That is a word of decree. So God decrees things and they just happen. That is one aspect or element of God's will. There is a second. And so we will think also of God's preceptive will. Precepts are the things that God has commanded to us. In the published law that he reveals to his people, we have precept upon precept to guide us and direct us. This kind of command does not result in instant realization of what God has said. It is declared, but those who receive it are given some freedom to respond to it. 
Light is not given the chance to either be light or not be light, depending on how it feels in the moment. God spoke and it happened. That's decree. However, when God says, do not bear false testimony, the lies of the world do not instantly cease. This is a different kind of will expressed in his creation. He makes his will known, but we are urged, not initially forced, to affirm it with our actions. If we neglect preceptive will, there will be consequences to our choice. We are not sovereign, nor are we free in the sense that we can do whatever we please without consequence. The preceptive will will eventually be forced enforced completely. It cannot be ignored forever. But according to God's plan, he has patience that leaves room for the response of man when it comes to this kind and category of will. By the way, the preceptive will is not divorced from the decretive will. The existence of preceptive will does not nullify God's sovereignty. He continues to reign perfectly over his creation, but has allowed for a degree of latitude within the boundaries that he himself has established for reality. So decree is not abolished or replaced by precept. There is simply an element of time worked into preceptive will that allows a narrative of grace to unfold that we might behold the plans of God and see his perfection in contrast to the imperfection of those who want to live away from God. So there is God's decree, then there is God's preceptive will, and then thirdly, there is God's permissive will. There are things that could not happen had God not been the first cause of those things, and yet they are things that are against his holy and perfect nature. There is a devil. I sin. I break God's law. Could these statements be true if God had not first caused the existence of both myself and the devil? No, they could not be true without God's provision. We exist because God wills us to exist. Yet is God guilty for the sins I commit? No, I am. Is God guilty for the rebellion of Satan? Satan is guilty of that. The evil that we do is not attributed to God in a way that makes him culpable or guilty. These kinds of things are allowed to exist and to come to pass according to what we might describe as God's permissive will. This does not mean that God merely allows or permits them to happen, for ultimately they would not have happened if God had not made their existence possible. He is still involved in those things as their first cause. They exist as part of God's greater plan and will. But God is not himself the one who commits the evil. Even though he is willingly allowing it to happen within the realm of his sovereign authority, and he will ultimately use it for a great good. Permissive will is not some corner of the creation where God does not fully reign. He is sovereign over even the things that occur within the realm that are broken and sinful and need fixing. And he masterfully uses those things to accomplish his greater purposes. So these are just three categories that I hope will help us to maybe think in a little bit more detailed ways about the will of God that is pouring forth from him in every moment. Can the will of God be known, friends? To a degree, a great degree, yes. 
The word of God has pulled back the curtain to reveal to us so much of God's will and plan. Simply pick up the book that he's given to you and you'll find page after page evidence and sign of what he desires. You'll see evidence of his will when you read about how he deals with his covenant people. He has invited us into covenant with him. And by doing so, God has made known not only his character, who he is as a personal God, but also his desire for how we will interact with him on a personal level and on a corporate level as a people. Strive, therefore, to know what you can know of God's will. Do not lament what God does not allow us to know. There is much hidden from your view because you are not God. Embrace that. Be thankful for it. Rather than trembling because you can't be in the driver's seat, be thankful that the one who is piloting the ship is doing it perfectly. 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 2. Eventually, we'll come on the screen, I hope. Yeah, we yeah. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions but for the will of God. We exist to do the will of God and to find our joy in doing the will of God. Let us pray that he will reveal that wonderful will to us to the degree that is best. Let us understand that the most reliable way to know God's will is to meditate on what he has revealed to us about his will through the pages of scripture. Psalm 67 says this, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah, that your way may be known on the earth your saving power among all nations. What is he talking about there when the psalmist mentions the way of God? He's speaking of his will, that God's will would be known to us. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Salah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase, God. Our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Why? Because his will is going to happen. And if we push ourselves against the will of God, we will not survive. We do not have to know God's will specifically in order to want God's will. That's important for us to realize. You don't have to know it in order to want it. You simply have to trust your God. We know the character of God. We know his power. Is that not enough to make us want what he wants? Since we know and have great confidence that he is better, more noble, more loving, more true than we could ever be. You don't have to know the details. Trust your God. And now we have spent so much time speaking about what it means to know the will of God. But is that what Jesus teaches us to specifically pray for here in the third petition? Not exactly. It's one portion of it. But what does he model for us in this part of the Lord's Prayer? Thy will be done. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Psalm 103. 
Bless the Lord, O you angels, the mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. So the prayer is not, thy will be known on earth as it is in heaven. The prayer is, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do we long to see that in the world around us? Yes, we do. We want to see a world where the will of God is done because his will is better. Look around you and you'll see the heartache of man. Why is God or why is man suffering and striving? Why are people killing each other and lying to one another? Because they want their will and they're doing their own will rather than the will of God. So we long to see in the world that we live in the the will of God done. But do we have great control over what happens in the world around us? I wish we did. This Tuesday, I am going to drive over to the Lutheran church near my house and I'm going to fill out a ballot and I'm going to vote. And I urge every believer who is blessed to live in a nation where they have a say in what goes on in the governmental realms to get up and to go out and to cast votes and to vote not as a freelance soul, but as a born-again believer, guided and directed by a wisdom that is from above. If we want the will of God to be done, vote for the will of God. But do not grieve when nearly every attempt to see God's truth play out in the laws of the land is struck down by the popular vote. Do not grieve that. Do not be discouraged. You may not have sway over Caesar, but you do have sway over something very precious to God. You, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of God's trustworthy word, you can do the will of God. You could not do the will of God until he made you spiritually alive. There was a time in your life where your very best effort to do something that was pleasing to God would have been a stench in his nostrils. You couldn't discern the will of God and you surely could not walk in it. Even whatever cobbled together resemblance of morality that you tried to build up in your own life, when you tried to follow that with all of your might and strength, with all of your intellect, it was nothing of value in the heavenly kingdom because you were still a rebel to the king. And so it took Christ coming into your life and showing you your sinful, rebellious heart causing you to grieve that sinful, rebellious heart. It took God's intervention and his transformative power to cause you to repent and to cry out for mercy from God, to trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when you did, the transformation that he brought about in you made you think completely differently about God's will. It gave you cause to love the will of God. And it also made it possible by the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit, for you to do what God wants and to do it for the right reasons. Not so that you might earn some special place in the kingdom of heaven. Not so that you might impress God enough to show him that you, he really wants you around and that he should save you. That's not why we do the will of God now. We do the will of God because he's the king. He's our king. And we rejoice when the kingdom is at peace and the kingdom is peaceful. 
when God's law is being lived out with joy. You couldn't do the will of God before, but thanks be to Jesus Christ and his victory over sin and death, you now can do the will of God. You got to be willing to do it, right? So pray that God will ever shape your heart to desire what God desires because there's still echoes in you that wants to do some of the things that the world says you should do even though God says no. My little girl is going through a time of, we'll call it resistance to mom and dad. And there are times when we are insisting since she needs to learn that mom and dad have been put into her life by God to guide her and direct her, that she needs to not only do what she's told, but be agreeable to it. And so we tell her, say, yes, mama. Say, yes, mama. And Rosie will say, yes, mama. I don't want to say, yes, mama. That's all one word in, in Rosie vernacular. She will say, yes, mama, and immediately, without a break, without a breath, but I don't want to say, yes, mama. I love that she's at least saying, yes, mama. The heart has not caught up yet. I'm trusting in God for the heart because I'm just a man and I cannot engineer that little heart. I want to, I want to put in her a love for the Lord that surpasses her desire for anything else. I want that for every one of my children and I know you want it for yours if you've been blessed with parenthood. I don't have the power to do that. But when God comes in and makes a new creation out of the lost, then he also provides for us a different will, a will that rejoices in saying amen to the will of God. He can change the heart. He can make us want what he wants. Has he not had to change your mind to conform you more to his will? Has God not over the the course of your life had to lovingly but firmly convince you that you don't think better than he does? Have you had to be convinced that sexuality is for a higher purpose than mere pleasure? Before you were captured by the grace of Christ, you likely had different ideas about what sex was for. Has God had to convince you that the primary giver of knowledge that will build up your kids is not some other institution outside of you, but is you, and that it is one of your greatest joys and responsibilities to make sure that your kids know what they need to know? Has God had to convince you that he deserves the first fruits of your labor? That you are not to store up your treasures on earth, but you are to hold what he gives to you with a loose hand? That if someone else needs it, that you're quickly willing and able to share with them, knowing that it is God's possession that you are stewarding and not your own? Has God had to convince you that you've been joined to a church that is more than just your social club and that you've been called to this fellowship of saints at a covenantal level, not only to receive blessings and to be fed, 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 but to give to their well-being and to their discipleship as well? Has God had to train you in these things? Because he had to train me. I didn't come into salvation and just instantly know what it meant to walk in the truth. God had to press these things upon my heart. He had to show me and train me. And often it was through my stupid resistance that God had to make me wiser in the things of the word. We must be made willing by God and we must be made able. 
He's got to give you a willingness to do it, but he also has to give you the ability to do it right. Not only are we able to know the will of God, but we are called to pray that the will of God would be done in this world, and that starts with you, Christian. Do not think that God can't see through it. When you go to him in your sincere petition and you pray that the whole world would get in line with God's plan and purpose, that they would start to to obey the law of God, but then in yourself, you are not obeying the law of God. Think about God's sovereignty over you and how he deserves to rule who you are and will do that lovingly and with gentleness and care. Petition for God's will is intrinsically linked to God's kingdom. And so I'm so grateful that my brother John preached about the kingdom of heaven today because when we pray for God's will to be done, we say, you're the king, God. I want what my king wants. I'm not going to push against his rule anymore. I'm not going to look for some king that looks more like me that can take the throne. I want this king. I want the only good king. I want his will done in my life. And when I pray for his will to be done, I am applauding his reign and rule over everything he has made, particularly his reign and his rule over me. And I am grateful for that. Why must we be taught to pray for the will of God, friends? Because we naturally pray for the will of the self over and above the will of God. But it doesn't have to stay like that. And as God grows us and trains us and edifies us, even through the process of prayer, we will begin to see how much more valuable his will for us is than our own will is for us. We'll begin to even naturally distrust our own will if it in any way, shape, or form seems to be not lined up with the will of God. May God grant us with a maturity that even through our petitions and prayers, he's discipling us and edifying us and refining our hearts that we might be those who trust in him and rejoice in his sovereignty over our lives. Let's pray together and then we'll have some time for questions. God, we love you because you first loved us and we pray that in a mighty way you would use this series of sermons that are based upon Christ's superior sermon that taught us how to pray, Lord, that you would use these things to challenge us and to stretch us and to cause us at a very fundamental level to ask the question, who reigns over me? Who do I want to reign over me? God, would you kindle in us a desire to be ruled well by the only king who knows how to do that perfectly. No one else knows our heart, God. You even know our heart and our desires better than we do. So Lord, exercise your authority over us. And we pray even that when we try to resist you foolishly, that you would like a good father have no patience for that. That you would grab a hold of us that you would show us through loving firmness, through discipline, that, that we are your children and that you have better things planned for us. God, help us to rejoice in that correction, knowing that it is for our good and for your glory. Lord God, may our prayers not only be a pleasing aroma to you, but may they be a way by which we learn to appreciate you better, God, and draw near to you through affection. 
through respect, through awe and wonder. And we pray this all in the perfect name of Jesus Christ who sits on the throne. Amen. All right, we do have a bit of time here for some questions. So if anybody wanted to share a comment or ask for some clarification, be happy to try my best to do that. Brendan. What's that? I can't get the text right now because I'm recording. So uh, you'll have to either say it out loud or I can get it later. Okay, thanks. Carol, you had your hand up. Oh, I was just going to say, like, um, if you have any comments on something more practical, like, I would like to have an associate join me. Yeah. And I've been praying, 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 everybody's been praying, but then I start to think, well, maybe the Lord doesn't want me to have an associate. I'm totally open to what His will is. Yeah. At what point do you cut the, when do you stop praying that prayer? Yeah. And just accept that he's not sending. Or do you keep fervently praying for that? I mean, some things we know what God's will is. We know that God wants our, our you know, our loved ones to be safe. We can be, I think we can yeah. be confident in yeah. that. But something like this, you just really don't know. I mean, right. you think it would be good. And honestly, Carol, we could torture ourselves trying to pinpoint the right time to turn around and stop praying that prayer or to pray for something different. And honestly, you've got to trust that the sovereign hand of God is going to cut bait for you. I mean, he's going to change things around. The greatest assistance I can give to you in that regard is I would say, stop and evaluate your prayers, your motives in your prayers. Ask yourself, is there anything wrong in asking for this of the Lord? It could be that I don't know. It could be that we would get so busy that, you know, it could be way too much for me. Could be. It could be. I'm not thinking of it as relief, but it might be like, well, you know, Right. But the thing is, if there is nothing morally wrong with praying that and your heart's desire is to have, is to have another, keep on, keep on praying it, you know, and then trust him. If he's going to stop it, he'll stop it. I, if he, sometimes he has to make us sick to help us to stop pursuing what we want to pursue. I had a brother and a sister who, who they confessed to me one time. They really, really wanted to buy a certain house and they convinced themselves that it's what God wanted. And so they stopped looking at every time that a circumstance came up that should have been a red flag. This is not wise. This is not best. This is going to be difficult for you. They just plowed right through it and said, nope, we've already decided that this is what God wants. And they didn't, they didn't think about the sovereign hand of God, you know, putting roadblocks in front of them, perhaps to slow them down. And so they went ahead and they bought that house. And they're still believers. They still love the Lord. So it's not like making that decision somehow threw them off the course so much that God was like, washing my hands of you, kid. That did not happen, right? So it's just you're, the lessons that you learn, they, they adapt, right? You're, you're now learning then in that situation, wow, I need to be careful that I don't desire so much a particular path in this life that I'm not keeping my eyes open to other possibilities. You know? so, and I don't think that's the case with you, Carol. I'm hoping that you're not like, no, I got to have this doctor. I want to increase our business. I don't think that's the problem for you. So I, I, would not, I would not grieve yourself over that. I would just you know, be carefully reflective. I mean, spend some time you know, occasionally just asking God, is there any, is there any pride in this? Is, is there anything in me that wants to grow this business so that I can kind of see that I can do it, you know? 
And you know, like that's, I'm not saying that's, that's happening with you, but I'm just saying, like, example, those are, those are ways we pray. You know, see if there be any wicked way in me. Because I don't always see what's wicked in me. Sometimes I think I'm so noble in what I'm trying to do. And then in retrospect, I look back and I'm like, that was so selfish. You were just, you know, you saw a soapbox and you were scrambling to get up on top of it. You wanted to be on a pedestal in front of everybody else. And you, you hid that from yourself. So I've, I need the Lord to reveal that to me at times. And so it's, it's healthy for us, I think, to petition the Lord and ask for him to open our eyes, to, to give us a scripture that might lead us in a different direction. But if you're not asking for anything wrong, if your intentions are good, you're being a good steward of what God has given to you now, and it would seem that you'd be a good steward if he gave you more, there's, there's no really wrong thing to do. And I don't think that there is a secret formula to figuring out when to stop praying that prayer either. I, I think you could point to scriptures to say the people that get what they prayed for often were the persistent ones that should have stopped a long time ago but kept praying. So I, I, I would be hesitant to say that there's you know, a time when you know you should stop. I just think you should evaluate yourself. And if the Lord changes your heart about it, he has the right to do that too. And if you're praying, thy will be done, thy kingdom come regularly, you're asking God to accomplish what he wants in your life, don't you think your father's going to change your heart on that matter? He's, gonna, he's not going to ignore that prayer. So uh, it's tricky though. I, I know when we get down to specific things, I knew that was going to be some of our questions tonight was I've been praying about X, you know, am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? How can I pray better? When in reality, I, I, I think it's really difficult to give just concrete answers about specific things like that because God is working his will out in ways that we don't always see. And hindsight is way more 2020. We'll use that, no, intentionally. <laughs> way more 2020 than what we see right in front of our face sometimes. So I, I know that's very unsatisfactory maybe, but, but it's, uh, it's good to remember that, when, you know, that there isn't some secret path necessarily that you got to figure out, guys. If you are obeying the Lord's word as far as you can see, what has been revealed to you is plain, follow those things, then you can be confident that your conscience is at rest. We talked about this a little bit at the men's uh, fellowship yesterday, and I'm going to share that message with our ladies on Saturday too. So if you're going to come to that, maybe that would be applicable. If not, we can post it. So So we'll pray for you that you can get out of that situation and get some help. John. Yeah, I was just going to jump in. Thank you, Curtis, Carol. I can relate to the work needs. Uh, we had a secretary during COVID who answered phones, you know, did all types of administrative work. And I didn't have any idea the Lord would answer the prayer in the way I would think he would answer it. But we still have a need for that position. But the Lord tells us to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Right? It's a legit need. So... It's not like God doesn't know you need that, right? If you have something according to his will, he hears us. Yeah. So the Lord has provided some of the administrative work we've taken away through our CPA. That's and cool. And he's doing that virtually with QuickBooks Online, but we still have the need for the phones to be answered and mm. stuff like that, right? So people just aren't willing to work nowadays for a wage that's, you know, that business owners would consider reasonable. People want 22, 25 bucks an hour to do work that just before COVID was 10, 15 bucks an hour. Yeah, it is. Yeah, right. Well, I don't have 100 bucks an hour to get it. Maybe I'm getting it, but 
And we need to encourage each other that way. You know, I I think it's good to share our concerns about these things with brothers and sisters because often we get great wisdom from them, people who have been through a similar thing. I mean, some of this is just striving together in the Lord and and getting other people to lift these things up. I've been praying for your doctor situation now too since you brought that to our attention. And, you know, just, just knowing that you're not the only one who's asking for some kind of resolution, even if it's a different one than you expected, you know, that's... That's good to know that you have brothers and sisters who care enough that are praying with yeah, you. I really appreciate you know, that. that. And it's not so much I was asking why isn't God answering my prayer. It's more like am I When should I stop praying now? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's just not <clears throat> yeah. his will. <clears throat> and I shouldn't yeah. waste my efforts. Yeah, but his will could change. Nope. Nope. Right now. Nope. Right now. Nope. Right now. Nope. Right now. Nope. Yes. Yeah, that's that's a good clarification. Okay, yeah, because we know that the will of God does not change. He doesn't he doesn't make a plan and be like, oh, like let me get the eraser out and change that because there's a better way. God always does it right the first time, but his what he reveals to us can change, right? You're right about that. Yeah, he he might say, wait, 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 wait. Okay, now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Good. John, did uh, Brendan send you his on yes, your phone? Sorry. Okay. Brendan's got a voice thing going on right now. He's, I think that's probably why he can't speak out too loud. He doesn't want to hurt that voice. Since there was a break in the catechism between the second and third petition, my question would be, is there a distinction between your kingdom come and your will be done? Because I thought that they, that they are the one, they are one and the same. They seem to be grouped together. If there is a distinction, what is that distinction? So I, I'm not sure I understand what you mean by a break in the catechism. And last week was thy kingdom come. This week, thy will be done. Those are two separate petitions. They are very much so linked. And I tried to show that at the end, yeah. is that because God is sovereign and rules over all things, the kingdom plays into the idea of us wanting his will to be done. Um, but we're not told that God is only a king over us. We're also told he's a father to us, right? So there, there are nuances to how he deals with his covenant people. So it's, it's different to just be a, like, I'm a citizen of America, but I ain't no king's son here, right? I'm just a citizen. But when we think of our belonging in the kingdom of heaven, there's also a nurturing aspect to his, his interactions with his kids. And so I'm not just just praying for the kingdom to come in a political sense or in a governing sense, but I'm also praying for my Father's will to be done. And so that's, that's why I, I tried to use those illustrations in a sense to remind us that, that there is a soft and gentle hand to the Lord, even as He disciplines us, that that's good for us. Um, and, and so I, I, there's enough difference that those can be two things. I think there's also a lot to be said about the kingdom, that if we tried to speak about the kingdom and his will all in one package, it would be an hour and a half sermon, right, at least. So, so to chop it into two pieces, I think is a little more practical for us to try to chew up and to digest what he means by those two petitions. But there's great unity in the whole prayer. I mean, you can, I've seen people pray or pre- preach a sermon on that whole prayer, just preach it all in one shot. But there's a lot of things that will remain unsaid when you try to tackle all that at once. So breaking it down is sometimes a really useful tool for us to give us an opportunity to get a broader snapshot of what God is saying with just a few words. But very much so linked, right? Very much so. So what was the first petition? The first petition is, hallowed be thy name. We want 
him to be honored, that the name of God would be exalted in the earth. And you think about it, that's very much so connected to the kingdom as well, right? That he is honored because of his position of authority over us. But we, uh, we use that sermon to speak specifically about the name of God and, and the holy reverence that's to be brought to bear upon that name and how we as Christians are representatives of the name of God. So we have a special task in glorifying and hallowing the name of God, but that how God is going to cause his name to be hallowed even in the lives of the wicked when they bend their knee to him one day. So that's the first petition. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So those are the first three, and we have more to learn. So keep on coming back. <laughs> you know, I missed that first one. It's online. You can, you can listen to it on the website, on the podcasts. That's a great resource, guys. If you miss a couple of Sundays, we're so grateful for your faithful attendance on Sunday nights. It's uh, really encouraging to not preach to a, an empty sanctuary. So to be able to have brothers and sisters that are hearing this live and then can interact, that's a, you're blessing your pastor's hearts to be able to see that happen you're, when your deacons are preaching up here too and when the men in the church who are in training are getting up here to preach. It's, it's really great to be able to share the word with brothers and sisters that we love and we know can benefit from it as we've benefited from it in preparation. So thank you for coming. But if you miss one, you can go back and listen to it. Or if you heard one and you're like, I didn't catch all of that, it's sometimes really good when you're doing something where you can't focus totally, but it's nice to have something on in the background. Just put on a sermon. Put on some preaching or some teaching through the catechism and just wash your dishes or walk your dog or do something where you don't have to feel like you're just sitting down at your study and laser focused, but it's playing and you're thinking about it and you might catch little bits of it. You're like, I didn't see that on the first time through. Or I remember hearing about that. I didn't write it down, but I wanted to meditate on that more. Now I have the chance to do it. So that's why we go to the effort of recording these things and we hope that that'll be a blessing to you in time. Christine. When we were talking about the decree, yes, God's decree, which I got, mm-hmm. and then God's perceptive, preceptive will, yeah, yeah perceptive will. Mm-hmm. I kind of got a little lost there. It's complicated. You really don't have to grasp that, okay? I just gave that to you as an assistance. If you're going to do a lot of research and study into the will of God, if you're going to sit and really contemplate the details and start to, to try to finally understand it, I mean, you're obviously looking at something so grand that you will not fully grasp it. We made that very clear in the sermon. But those who have really meditated on it for a long time and looked at broadly at the scriptures to try to understand, this is their best attempts to try to put things into some categories. Human minds can't perceive all things at the same time. Human minds work best in categories. And so it can be helpful to think about the fact that some of God's will is just declared in such a way by decree that it instantly comes to pass. Um, But when he gives us preceptive will, that doesn't mean that his will is not being done just because it's not perfected right now. There's a patience in the way that he allows us to interact with his law. And sometimes we interact with it wrongly but that doesn't mean that his, his will is not being done. That fits within another category of his will. Um, so when you say, you know, like the light just immediately obeyed and it existed, that's example of his, his powerful, perfect will. But the preceptive will is an example of his will that is loving and patient and gives us time and has a story to tell us and something to teach us as things unfold over years sometimes. I mean, we're still waiting 2,000 years later for the return of our king, and we might wait another 2,000 years. Who knows? 
Um, and, and so that doesn't mean that God is not sovereign now. He's, he's working his way, his will out in different ways. Yeah, so, if, you know, if you don't, that's not the one thing I want you to take home. I don't want you to go home tonight and think, okay, I got the decretive and I got the preceptive and I got, you know, I don't, I'm not wanting you to get so caught up on that. I just sort of included that as a bonus, really. Bounced. Um, early on, well, I'll tell him later, but early on, um, when you talk about the will of God being done in heaven, and uh, you know, us praying for you know, us to obey God and His will to come, and how you said that the kingdom and His will coming are synonymous in a sense, right? So, yeah. I feel like you answered that part earlier, so. It's okay. You know, it's no big deal. I mean, I, I, I often miss parts of sermons that I have to go back and listen to later or, ha- you know, somebody else has to fill me in on something I wasn't paying attention to. So yeah. it happens, you know, it happens. Yeah. Yeah, I, I often will write notes down and then throw them away because the writing for me, the way that I learn will help me to retain more. If I've just got some kind of motor activity going while I'm thinking too, that helps it to lock in for me. It's almost like, a, it's almost like I'm hearing it twice. Um, so people learn differently. You know, some people, notes are a huge distraction, and that just keeps them from focusing. They need to just hear it. So uh, I understand that people receive things differently. But uh, yeah, I'm also a note guy. Anything else, guys? Praise the Lord. We are grateful for what he teaches us, and we're grateful that even if we get a thimble full from the giant gallon of truth that he gave us that it's good for us. So let's rejoice in that. Thank you for coming tonight. Be blessed. Have a good rest of your evening.